You're listening to the Remote Explorers podcast, a show that allows you to connect, learn, and be inspired by the stories of people who have used the power of remote work to have unconventional experiences in their lives. The podcast is hosted by Mayur and Shahzada, who are experienced and equally curious remote workers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Remote Explorers podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. Mayur, uh, why don't you introduce Andrew to all of our audience? Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, Andrew. It's a it's a pleasure to introduce Andrew. Andrew is uh, co-founder and CEO of Insured Nomads, a specialized insurance company for digital nomads, remote workers, and mobile professionals. Uh, Andrew is a veteran in insurance industry. And we'll know more about Andrew in due course of this podcast. Uh, so, yeah, off to you, Andrew. Can you tell us a little more about your journey as a, uh, you know, slow mad or a digital nomad? And Yes. 20 years ago this month, I took off to Europe and traveled around for a number of months working and and a bit of a holiday as well. I remember the day that I came out of a, a music store with my new journal and sat and wrote how that I wanted to live around the world. That I wanted to marry someone that was from another country. And later that year, I ended up going to Brazil and ended up staying there six months at that time. Went for a month, came back, sold my car, my house, and started my design and marketing company. And it was actually outsourced to folks in Pakistan and India who, wow. who were actually doing all the work. So that was my start as a nomad was in reselling web design services, internet marketing. And that was 20 years ago before we had unlimited internet. You paid per bob. Wow. So you are really the pioneers in, uh, you know, one of the pioneers in not just digital nomadism, but maybe also the internet, right? Because it was just the beginning of the internet era and you are part of it. Yes, it was, well... That's taking it further than I would say myself, but thank you. It's really been a wild journey of living and working across uh, over 20 countries. And I know compared to many of the fast traveling nomads these days, that's not many countries. But for me, who didn't leave until I was in my 20s, didn't know any other languages, didn't really ever aspire to being a digital nomad. I just got the bug and once I married my, my wife who wanted to be a doctor in Africa, that took us to many places around the world is also. And so raising three kids across different continents, we've lived in five continents, lived and worked across them. And it's, so it's my first one is now going off to university, majoring in diplomacy and international relations. So the, when you are blended from a digital nomad to an expat, 
to a slow mad to then returning to your home country and remote working. I've carried that over into my family to where they also are, are ruined for the ordinary. So is your wife American as well, or did you end up marrying somebody from a foreign country? I ended up marrying a Brazilian. Oh, oh wow. that's, <laughs> yes. so that's why, that's why so, you're in Rio now. Uh, one of the reasons, yes. One of the reasons. Over the years, we've spent time here as well as other cities in Brazil. So this time we decided, you know, we're, we, last year we spent six months in another city in Brazil called Belo Horizonte. And this year we've spent seven months now in Rio. And last year, I guess I, I worked in six countries. And so it's, it's constantly, I'm, I'm eager next month. I'll be on my first international trip of this year due to COVID. Oh, wow. So do you speak Portuguese now? I do. Wow. So uh, how many languages do you speak now? I would say two and a half. I lived in Ghana, <laughs> West Africa. I, I worked and lived in, in and out of Ghana, West Africa for quite some time. So I, I do speak Chui, which is Ashanti Chui, and, and one of the main languages of Ghana. Cool. So I think, uh, you know, when you come to Goa, you'll find some companions to talk in Portuguese with. Yes, because... a lot of Brazilians and, and Portuguese from Portugal actually make it to Goa. I, th I think it's the beaches. Yeah, and I think it's also the history, right? Because Goa was a Portuguese colony for over yes. 400 years. So, yeah, you're welcome to Nomad Gao whenever... I still want to come. India has been on our dream list. And it's we've even last year we even talked and planned for a trip. So you have never been there? Ah, in unison, no, I've never been to India, but I so would like to. And that's so hard to say because India is such a diverse nation. As we plan this trip, you need pros like you to help it because there's such diversity. You up north, uh, your area of the mountains and the Himalayas are so different than down in your coastal on the on the beach and at Nomad Gao. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, uh, so India offers unmatched diversity. No other country offers that in terms of culture, food, uh, landscape. So whenever you come make sure that you have at least six months uh, yeah. to spare. And hopefully yeah. by that time, we'll have uh, Nomad Gov everywhere, you know. Yes. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so in, in India is like uh, an accumulation of 28 countries because there are 28, 29 states in India. So mm -hmm. every every state that you go to, the food is different. the the clothes that the clothes that people are wearing is different. The culture is different. So every six hundred hundred kilometers that you travel, uh, everything changes from the way people are eating to the way people, the the language, the way they interact with you. So being it it at least needs six months to to have a hold of what's what's happening in the country. Yeah, when we're looking at a lot of remote workers. Sometimes people think, okay, I'll buy travel insurance because that's very inexpensive. 
but travel insurance is for a trip. And what you described about coming to India, that's not a trip. That's an international lifestyle. That's where it's going to take, you know, a, a full international health insurance and a shift of mindset, really. Because once you become a, a wanderer, many times it lasts for years. And although being a wanderer, when you're in a country of countries like India, it requires that you get a local insurance product to cover you when you're traveling around the country. And so many times people don't even do that. When you look at where you spend your money, you can see what people value. If you spend your money on food and clothing and decorations in your home, that shows that you value how things look. But if you, if you spend your money on saving for the future, on insurance, on, on things like that, it shows that you really value yourself and those things that could happen to you. Yeah. So that takes us to your, uh, you know, uh, career in the insurance industry. So can you talk a little more about your journey uh, in the industry and what inspired you to start the insurance agency for or rather insurance company for digital nomads and remote workers? Well, um, my partner, my wife is a global health doctor, specialized in travel medicine in Liverpool. And having lived around the world and having people come to us without insurance, seeing people die and leaving their wife and kids with no money and bills to pay and just the tough scenarios, my heart went out to people. It's like, okay, there's got to be a better solution. And it's in caring for people that I actually made it into risk management as an industry, a career. So I actually don't care about insurance. I care about the people. And in the process, that means you've got to have a piece of paper that stands behind the care you provide. You've got to have the reinsurance companies that actually provide the enormous bill payment if something bad happens. So... Over the years, I specialized, got the specialized training and represented over 30 global insurance companies, more as the agent, broker, and then saw, wow, it's a broken industry. And a group of us formed Insured Nomads yep. to design an insure tech that bridges technology with insurance to bring something that's better without charging the high prices of some of the global companies that are just charging way too much and under delivering. So that's the formation in a nutshell of why we've, why we've done this. And is your, is your team remote uh, for your company and, and how do you manage it? We were birthed as a remote company. So before any pandemic, reactionary decision. We were declared a remote company yeah. from, from the beginning. 
I believe that's the only way because it's how I've worked for many years. And some of our key executives that have come in said, you know, as long as I don't have to be um, chained to a desk, I'm willing to join your team. Yeah. So that's the world is shifting that way. It's tough to generalize with that because there are many people that are going to have to not work remote because we need them in the restaurants. We need them in the factories. And many times we generalize saying, oh, the world is shifting to remote working. No, it's not. A tiny portion of the world is. So let's be really considerate when we make broad statements because we will not have laptops by remote workers. We will not have cell phones by remote workers. Those people are going to a factory. They're assembling things that we use every day of the week. So we yeah. must live a grateful life when we can work remote because those who are making our beds and cleaning our rooms in the, in the co-working spaces, in the hotels, in the restaurants, they don't have the privilege of saying they work remotely. Yeah. So living that grateful life and expressing it kindly is so crucial. Yeah. I think there's yeah. such an arrogance that can come across with many people who have the privilege of working remotely. And we, we've got to guard against that. Yeah, I think that's a very, very um, interesting point that you've, you've mentioned here that people who who really have this privilege of working remotely or being a digital nomad there's a lot of um, there's a lot of time that people complain about not having the right infrastructure or not having the right technology but it's but just the the idea of having this opportunity that you're able to move and you're able to do your you you can you can earn your bread and butter from wherever you want that's that's a that's a privileged life in itself. It is, and then there's the flip side of assuming that those who work remotely get to party all the time, where actually yeah. working remotely may mean that they sit at their computer 16, 18 hours a day from wherever they are, whether they're beachside or in the mountains. They may actually be working harder than if they went to an office. Yeah. So in crux, uh, those who work remotely should be grateful for those who don't yes. and those who don't work remotely should uh, rationalize their uh, thought process about digital nomads and remote workers. How many countries have you traveled to, Andrew, being a slow mod or being a digital nomad? Because as you just mentioned, you've you've been doing this for the last 20 years. You were you you, you were a pioneer of when, when there wasn't even a, a phrase like being a digital nomad existed you would have definitely met a lot of amazing people. You would have had experiences. So enlighten our audience with a few of um, uh, some extraordinary experiences you've had. Uh, <laughs> wow. I would, the number of countries, that's hard because I don't keep track of it. It's something that is that just flows. But it would be 21 countries at this point. And when I think about some of those things, it is... Oh, the stories, the, I remember one time getting off a train and the, I was young and I had my bag, got off the train thinking, oh no, I don't have cash. So when I get uh, to the next station, I better get off the, the train and get some cash. 
But the bad thing is, I didn't know that it was the last train of the night. And it was winter in Switzerland, and I was on my way to Italy. So everything was closed. There was no, no hotel that could take me in. I had no credit card. I only had a, a basic cash card to take money from a machine, and I couldn't find a machine that would take my card. And I ended up having five people offer for me to come sleep in their house just because they saw that I was a tourist out wandering the streets and the streets were icy and, and it was a miserably cold night. And I kept saying no, thinking I'm going to find a hostel. I'm going to find some place where I could stay. But in the end, I found this. I did accept and slept on the couch on the sofa of someone that was so kind and that last, uh, left a, a lasting impression of the hospitality of the Swiss. I actually got to spend some time there last year again. And again, it just, the kindness was surprising. Because I think many times, just because of movies, you stereotype different cultures incorrectly. And, you know, the living in Ghana, culturally, it was such another experience of kindness where I couldn't get out of my, my car without someone running to carry whatever I was carrying. Even if I was just carrying my laptop bag, someone would walk and just try to carry it for me. And that's strange if that's all you have in your, in your hand is just a laptop bag. And the average person doesn't have a laptop or it may be because currency was so bad. It was full of cash and there was no laptop in it. <laughs> it was one of those things you insulted someone if you didn't let them carry your bag. But throughout different times of being there with, with uh, at times I'd be drilling wells in villages that their only borehole, their only well wasn't working or it had dried up. And I might be walking around with a duffel bag of cash just because $1 was equal to a stack of, or $100 was equal to a stack of their currency. But they wanted to carry my bags for me. So it was a lesson in trust to allow people to help me, even though I didn't necessarily need help. Because culturally, you have to learn and adapt. So this, the stories, yeah, just of being in different places, having major things happen where you have to think through filters you're not accustomed to thinking through. I'm no longer a person of one country. In fact, my home, my passport country is not my home country any longer. I'm more at home elsewhere than I am in my home country. Someone said, if asked me recently, do I miss it? And I said, well, I miss going there to shop. <laughs> Let me go there to, to get my vitamins, supplements, a few clothing items, it, you know, things that you might miss occasionally and, and hug my aging 85-year-old parents. But life is richer oftentimes when you're able to spend it outside your, your original country or even the region that you're from.
yeah i think uh, we have to step out of our comfort zones let it be location or let it be a mindset to experience a new way of living and to experience uh, to open ourselves to experiences that we otherwise wouldn't have yes when it comes to insurance when it comes to insurance it also is viewed differently in different cultures many cultures don't think oh i should get insurance because i'm traveling somewhere because cost of healthcare is inexpensive where they're from so the assumption is that cost of care will be inexpensive where they're going hmm. which is not true so i think uh, when it comes to india i think that is the case you know Uh, the cost of healthcare is comparatively cheaper here the insurance penetration is low and a lot of friends that i speak to uh, they don't really understand the importance of being insured um, so if somebody is listening to this podcast what advice will you have in terms of being adequately insured and making sure that you are managing your risks well I'll make it personal. I'm 47 years old. When I was 40, I was in and out of Mozambique during that year. And I had a heart attack. And then open heart surgery. So slice my chest open and do bypass surgery. The hospital bill for that was 128,000 US dollars. I did have insurance. And every time I went to Mozambique, I purchased insurance also. But if I had if it had happened when I was in Mozambique in that season of life, they could not have operated on me. They would have had to evacuate me to a place where they could have operated. And so I had insurance where I was living. and also when i was in mozambique i would have gotten sent probably to joburg johannesburg for surgery and that transfer alone is you know about 30000 euros 25 28000 us dollars for a transfer of that yeah then that would have been right air rescue right they would have yes. like you but yeah because ground yeah ground from there wouldn't be acceptable just because of the potential risk and if i were on my own i probably would do it by ground cuz i'm not afraid of of making that 8 yeah. hour drive from or you know actually from where i was now if it were maputo yes but not from not from up north where i was in mozambique but having lived and worked across different areas of Af- west africa southern africa i'm not afraid of of road trips like that. But yes, I've seen it time after time. You know, one comes to mind where a guy was 27 years old, he'd never had a thing in his life happen. And he got insurance through us. It was less than $1000 at the time for his policy. And about 11 months into it, he was visiting family in Chiang Mai, Thailand. He had a headache, went to the hospital and they said we've got to do test. He called us and said the hospital won't let me even get on an airplane to go to Bangkok. 
They said they found a tumor in the altitude, the altitude oh. they didn't want me to get on a flight to be evacuated or go anywhere because of the, the potential damage of the tumor on the rest of the brain. Now he had an international health insurance plan. So every year he can renew that plan and that cancer is covered. If he had travel insurance, it would be excluded because it's only good for that trip. And then a new plan starts all over, all over again, the next trip he goes on. So in his case, that's incredible that every year he can renew that plan and cancer is covered. So now he's actually married and his wife is on, has a plan and they they have maternity and is paying for birth. They actually live in, in the Middle East now. And so they're, they're continuing on their nomadic lifestyle, even though he has got partial paralysis on one side of his face from having that tumor, brain tumor removed. But I've got story after story of people who said, oh, do I really need to get insurance? I've never had anything happen in my life. And then, you know, the average person, they don't need it. They don't use it. But it's in those cases to where they don't have to do a, a GoFundMe. They don't have to raise money or call family and friends saying, help me. Can you bring me home? The way I look at it is because I also come from uh, finance and risk management background. So the way I look at it is insurance is uh, not, not because nothing happens to you. It's because something may happen to you in the future, right? And that event might be low frequency, but high severity. So you yes. are basically protecting you, yourself and your family for that. Uh, so the way I understand, uh, the way I understand uh, international health insurance is uh, by having one, you don't have to buy a local insurance all the time if you're traveling around the world, right? Right. And also it gives you a lot of... Uh psychological relaxation because you know i see a lot of people when they uh, like westerners when they come to asia or they come to india there's a lot of um, discomfort because the environment is different the culture is different so having an insurance it just gives you a soothing effect in your psychology that even though something happens i'm covered and i'm secure in that way so not just not just with the idea that something might happen to you, but in the present, it gives you this sense of security, which which lets you enjoy the present in a yes. more beautiful way. And it's that thing of being responsible. Because even if things aren't expensive where you're traveling, the hospital still needs to get paid. And the sad thing is tourists may come and get injured and they leave the hospital without paying. And that's because they don't have the extra funds because they have to buy their next flight or they have to, they want to make sure they have enough money for the next few months. So without insurance, sometimes they leave the hospital or the clinic without adequately having the money to pay those bills. And that's not, not right. Yeah. So how does this international health insurance works? Like for example, uh, the, Cost of healthcare is different for different countries, right? Yes. Uh, so how do you price the risk? 
Okay, there was a little distortion. Can you come back and say that one more time? Yeah. Uh, so how does this uh, international health insurance works? Because the cost of healthcare is different for different countries. So how do you price the risk? Okay, that's, a, that's where we're a bit different in that a lot of countries, you have to say where you're living. And many times people are not living in one place. They don't have a resident visa. They are on a tourist visa. They're traveling. So most of our competitors price it according to one country where they say, okay, I'm relocating to Bali. In, I'm going to in, in Indonesia. Well, the average remote worker these days, they want the freedom to say, I'm going to be in this area of the world for the next year. And say India is in our least expensive region for pricing. So if you're going to be spending time in India and say from there, you're going to go on to Turkey and from Turkey, you may go on to touch base in the Philippines. All those, the care is is very inexpensive. And so when we say, where are you residing? That's where you're putting your head. So it could be at Nomagao and that's your address. And it, it can be for one night. It's not where we're going to mail you anything and you don't have to show proof of it. It's just one of those things of where are you right now? Or where are you going to be? during the first part of your travels. And then you choose a whole region. If you have to include Canada and the US because you're from another part of the world and you're coming there, it's going to be expensive because cost of care is so broken with all the lawsuits and with pharmaceuticals being so expensive, you name it. There's so many aspects of the, of the mess ups in healthcare in the, in the Western hemisphere there. It's just, we won't go there. But so pricing it when you can exclude those higher priced regions, it's good. If you want to include China or Singapore, you know, the prices are going to go up just because cost of living is, is ridiculous there. Healthcare inflation is a major factor because healthcare technologies are raising the cost whether it's DNA testing or the more and more the use of MRIs and, and other imaging technologies. It's just these advances in medicine cost us a lot. So when you get on the lower expensive side, travel insurance, that's where it's going to fly you back to your home country, assuming that when you get to your home city, Either socialized medicine, a government-owned facility could take care of you. And then the insurance can just say, okay, we got you home. We're done. So that's why travel insurance is so much less expensive. Because people don't want to go back home either. It's for the emergency. It's for the broken arm that's not going to cost much. But if it's a diagnosis of a major disease or... You got hit by a, by a motorcycle and you're, you're paralyzed. It's going to fly you home and say, okay, we're, we're done with you because you're back in your home country now. 
So it's much less expensive and most people don't use it. But when you get into health insurance where it's going to be renewed every year, that's where it gets much more costly because our risk that we take on is much higher because you could have a baby. Well, not you, but sorry. (laughs) Your partner could have a child and then you've got that birth to take care of and the new child to add on to it for almost nothing, but yet the risk is high. So then we're adding on all kinds of features, whether it's, you know, the digital ID cards or well-being apps and AI and different, different things to where claims can be paid fast or paid instantly, transferred instantly to your bank account for any, anywhere in the world is coming to our account, our plans very soon. So let's, let's take a scenario here. For example, I, I, go to, I go to Vietnam. I'm in Ho Chi Minh. And I I get a a bike accident. I go to a hospital. What proofs insured nomads need? And what are the documents that I need to submit? And what are the benefits that insured nomads would give me at that point? How does the procedure work? Our 24-hour medical response is there waiting on your call or your message to say, hi, this has happened. And multilingual. Hmm. So if... Probably if you're in Ho Chi Minh City, you're from India, you're speaking some English. So generically speaking, English is going to get by. But if we need translation, almost any language of the world, we have, we'll patch in someone from another culture to do that translation also with the hospital also as needed. Now, in a situation like that, we would pay the hospital directly so that everything is easy. Because you're, you're admitted and there is a situation where, you know, if, if your legs were hit and paralyzed, like in your scenario there, it's not going to be a quick fix. So we're going to have time to arrange payment and transfer of funds or issue a guarantee of payment to the hospital. If it's something small, like someone recently filed a claim because they fell down and they needed their wrist stitched up because I think they fell on a sharp object. It was very, very cheap. They were in a South American country and it was so inexpensive. In a case like that, they would get reimbursed. So they would just take a picture of the receipt, no matter what language it's in, and submit it through the through a, to us electronically, and they get reimbursed. Of course, you don't get reimbursed unless you've met your deductible or your excess. And a lot of people don't think about that when they buy a policy is that your excess or your deductible amount has to be met before insurance starts paying. Yeah. So I love our World Explorer Max product because it's a zero deductible, zero excess. And it covers lost and uh, cell phones, laptops. It covers zip line and surfing and paragliding and all those, you know, hiking and mountain bike riding and things that oftentimes travel insurance excludes. So the price is not much yeah. more. And it's more of a, a thoughtless thing of, okay, taken care of. Yeah. Uh, one thing, you know, that I think of is, you know, a lot of countries are 
now coming up with digital nomad visas or they're thinking about it but uh, when it comes to insurance uh, sector it's a very legacy sector it is uh, behind the curve when it comes to sharing data or coming up with uh, plans for the new workforce or, or for the uh, you know new generation so uh, what are the challenges that you think there i'm sure you're solving those challenges through insured nomads uh, but what is because you mentioned that insurance industry is broken so what is that broken part you're talking about oh it's it's such a joy to get that question because the we are the first insure tech in global benefits because technology like you say it's such an old fashioned industry so technology is one of the last things that's applied in insurance people are used to the fine print of what's excluded because it's it's got to be controlled there's a lot of fraud in travel insurance and international policies all around so that's that's one of the reasons for the controls is so much fraud but you know our team is having a call this week with with a firm out of out of the Asia Pacific region that is working on a a covid um travel passport so that as company countries require all the travel data and testing data from people that's in an electronic form that shows testing results and so much more we're trying to get ahead of the game so that everything is electronic verified easier because whether you're passing through thailand right now they want to show they want to see proof that you have insurance that covers covid well insurance policies were created before there was covid so if you search the policy wording it does not say this covers covid it it may say this it covers pandemics or it just may not talk about it at all because this is every 100 years we're living through something that insurance companies are now saying oh our policy doesn't cover this or saying yes it does cover but it's not in print you have to search for it many times so we're trying we are working to and staying ahead of the process to build in technology solutions so that it's easier all along the way so do you have any covid uh, claim stories to tell luckily not we have not had any insureds that have had covid this is interesting actually we've had people that have wished they bought coverage and then come to us saying they can they now get it and get covered but uh we have an umbrella over us it seems that our people have been protected from getting sick from it and we are talking about people who are constantly on the move they go to yeah. airports they go to all the hot spot and still yes it's been amazing uh of course we get lots of questions via 
you know, our WhatsApp, our message chat on our site, through Line, through WeChat, everywhere. We're getting questions about it just in case. But it's it's a great thing that we've not actually had claims, at least to my knowledge, at all. I'm very curious to know your opinion. I think we've asked this question to almost all the guests we've had till now. Uh, I'm very curious to know your opinion on it. How do you see the the idea of digital nomad or being a slow mod uh, having a boom or expanding in the coming years? How do you how do you see the transformation happening? What do you see the future? We were on a trajectory of growth before 2020, and this is only allowing people to formalize their plans now. This is the necessary pause before they open the gates and say, you can go free. So come 2021, maybe even before then, we're going to see a surge in people leaving. They are political systems in their home countries wherever you are almost, whether valid or not, they're tired of the controls that were placed on them. And they think the grass is green or on the other side of the fence, even though it probably isn't. And combine that with more companies who've said you can work away from the office. then add in those who were let go of their com- from their companies and they have to start fresh creating their own revenue flow combine those three things and you've got the perfect scenario for a refueled growth in international remote work as well as domestic travel within countries all around the world so hospitality industry will see a comeback domestically, not just with international travelers, but those who are saying, okay, I've never been to this region. I've never been to this state within their own country, their own, you know, a new province. They're going to go. So I think yeah. we all need to get ready for, for increased business. So interestingly, Andrew, get up, uh, when we started Nomad Gav last year, uh, it was almost 80% foreigners and 20% Indians uh, until the lockdown, until coronavirus hit us, lockdown started. And now we have 80% Indians and 20% foreigners in the house. Uh, so I am seeing this transformation happening, a new market opening up for domestic digital nomads. And the uh, I also believe that digital nomadism is going to be the uh, thing in the future, especially in younger countries like India, the median age is 29 years. So we'll see a lot of Indians uh, choosing this path. Yes. It's especially with the publicity that it's getting through excellent podcasts such as yours, through um the awareness in LinkedIn and Facebook and all the different groups that are that are just growing exponentially. People who have never thought about leaving their hometown, they're now thinking, 
let's look outside the windows. And when you think that way, you think, okay, the price of technology has gone down so much to where a Chromebook is accessible to many more people now. And people will get in a bus. They'll get on a ship. They'll get on all sorts of means of transport these days and live differently just because they don't want to repeat what last decades have done. Yeah. And India itself is going through a, so it it was already in the middle of a technology boom uh, because I don't know if you know about this. Uh, In 2016, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mayur, uh, 2015 or 16, there was this uh, uh, company called Geo which uh, which democratized the the access to internet all over the country so earlier people had to pay uh, like a couple of dollars for 1 gigabyte of data but then the same amount now all over the country people people pay like 5 to 7 dollars a month with unlimited calling and every day 2 gigabytes five of to data 7 dollars for 3 or months their, or their... wow for 3 months so there's there's a big shift in the in the reach uh, where the internet has gone in India. So it's not just a hydro, uh, Hyderabad so problem anymore. In, it's it's gone so much further. Yes, the the reach of internet has gone really further. But the idea of remote work wasn't a mainstream idea. Where uh, so the the technology the 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 uh, you know the development all the big IT companies all the all the chaos that was in the in the market was happening in few countries uh, in in, the, in few states like hyderabad bangalore mumbai delhi but now i think as more companies would adopt the policy of remote working there'll be more ease on where you are working from uh, the population intensity in those bigger cities would narrow down and people would get uh, this idea that they could work from more remote places, places with less traffic, with with more nature around them, and still be same productive and do their work. So as as that reaches more and more cultures, more and more places around the world, people are going to be willing to to leave their past behind, really, and start fresh. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 the and the footsteps of it, the foundation was already being built by when the geo got, uh, you know, widespread in India. It was already happening for the five years. Now the infrastructure that the country has built, we could utilize that, and and you know, grow. Uh, yes, I'm seeing very similar things happen in West Africa, and how that their competitors to PayPal coming up, their competitors to some of the global names where locals are building these infrastructures that are having a whole lot a much better success just because the cost of technology, the ability to hit high speed internet and the uh, education levels are going further and further out where previously you would have brain drain from the from areas now you're actually having it to where those resources are hitting the smaller communities. Exactly. Yeah. So Andrew, uh, I heard a lot about 
kindness and gratitude in first uh, you know few questions or first few answers uh, so do you think uh, that's you from the beginning or your journey as a slow mad or journey as a nomad had changed you to uh, look at things differently i must say it's me from the beginning before being a nomad and that's due to the legacy of my heritage i mentioned earlier my parents are 85 years old they're still joyfully married after uh close to 60 years wow and i have the the heritage on both sides of the family that is really instilled generosity and that's the, one of the core values of our company in that we are built with a culture of generosity to give back and you'll you'll see that at insurednomads.com you'll see a bit on that and we encourage even those who are our clients to give back and invite them to we're able to negotiate with hospitals around the world to where if they bill us say if they say okay the procedure costs 20,000 our leaders have the the experience to say okay would you drop it to 10,000 and we'll donate 5,000 to your your favorite charity so the hospital gets to name the local charity that they would like to give it to in that discount model so it's we get to have the ricochet effect of kindness the industry is wealthy so our model is not to receive the outrageous bonuses that industry executives generally receive but we'd rather put it back into the into those who need it So that brings us uh, to my, to our last question of this podcast Andrew uh, we could see that you've consulted big brands like Coca-Cola and Rolls and and Rolls-Royce on their employee relocation right how was the experience of working with such big names and and what do you think about the future of global workforce mobility global workforce mobility is also going to increase like we've like we've never seen because many of those companies that were not multinational previously are seeing that they can expand because they don't have the fear of work workers being distant from them during this pandemic they've had the exposure of workers continuing their daily routines without coming to an office every day so now they can see the possibility of sending someone to a different country to work and working virtually remotely the yeah. tools are developing faster than we can evaluate them for online office management for online remote remote work scenarios to where you have virtual rooms virtual break rooms uh meeting rooms etc and you can see the different people on the screen So the tools are evolving. Many people had never used anything like Squadcast or Zoom and the others prior to this. So yes, multinationals will be allowing people to work in other countries either because they're willing to open an office there and use a PEO 
an employee outsource company for it, or allow them to be a consultant instead of an employee as subcontractor, as they call it in some countries. And then just tell the person, yep. go find your own insurance. You can work wherever you want, but you're no longer an employee. We'll pay you a fixed amount and you source your own policies. So it's they've got to find their own international life insurance. They've got to find their own health insurance, disability insurance, things like that, to come to somebody like insurednomads.com to do that. Instead of going through their personnel, human resource director, who's made all those choices for them for years. Yeah, so I think with the shift to uh, gig economy and shift to uh, digital nomadism, we'll also see see structural uh, change in the insurance industry, right? Because now governments are not, uh, governments don't have budget to insure, insure people. Companies don't have budget to insure people. Then some of the companies are uh, even big names like GE and Boeing. Uh, they they are cutting down on uh, pension and insurance costs, expenses. Uh, so I think now everyone will have to take their own yes. insurance decisions, right? It's those that can be flexible with purchasing after you've already left home, with providing service that is different faster responses, different channels for the service with technologies deployed and willingness to do it outside the box, outside of how it's always been done. So that challenge, I gladly accept. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on today. You have the greatest speakers. I've been listening since since the start and I, I appreciate it. And I look forward to coming to Yes, to see you, Andrew. Our pleasure to have you uh, in this on this podcast, and uh, looking forward to see you in Goa when flights start. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us. We we had a lovely time uh, talking to you and and having those insights into. Uh, how Insured Nomads is uh, currently dealing with the situation and also about the fun times that you mentioned with your uh, tenure with uh, being a digital nomad. Thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, hopefully we, we have you again uh, in, in the next couple of months and then we talk about what happened with uh, the changes that has happened from the first episode. Yeah, Mayur. Uh, so those who are listening to this, if you're a digital nomad or if you're aspiring to be a digital nomad buy global health insurance from insured nomads and come to nomad now you'll be well taken care of thank you